Amen. Let's keep them in prayer. And keep each other in prayer. We're, we're kind of thick into the vacation time. A lot of people traveling and doing things and schedules are changing. But let's keep the Lord number one. Amen. And, and before we, we step into this, this message, I want you just to bow with me in prayer over just uh, some folks have had surgery in this last week or so. Um, Terry Trisler, uh, Jeannie Haig, um, and we've even, with the Bridgewaters, Heather's father passed this past week, and they had the funeral yesterday. Uh, let's lift these folks up and ask God to care for them. And if you know if there's someone else around you that has had a, a pretty major hit this last week, uh, lay your hands on them, and let's lift them in prayer as well. Father, we just thank you that this morning as we stopped, you've heard the names of these people. You have not missed their need. We ask in the name of Jesus for you, Holy Spirit, to come upon them in a mighty way to continue to complete the healing on their behalf for Jeannie, for, for Terry, uh, for any other that we might be praying for this morning that needs your healing touch. We pray that you would show them that you're hearing their prayer and you're with them. God, we pray that you would just continue to be the God of all comfort on the Bridgewater's family and on Heather and on the rest of her siblings and her family and her mother. Lord, we pray this morning that you would just encourage them and comfort them and keep them and uh, continue to answer their questions, but just continue to be their all in all today. So lift them up, Jesus, and love them, we pray. God, we thank you for being with us this morning as we've gathered as your church and we pray that your word would go forward. And we pray that we would hear from your spirit and that we would respond. And because we respond, God, that we grow in faith and conviction. And we would join you in what you're doing, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's get into it. Knowing why you go to church, part two, huh? <laughs> you know, we have a big family. I don't know if you would agree. When I look at Jill and her family, she had 13 in it, right? Yeah, now that's a big family. We had seven, so we were a moderately big family. Her family was big, the Carson family was 13 too, that he grew up in, that was big. But you know what I love to do throughout the years? I would often ask people, I'd find out that they were from a larger family, and I'd ask them, I'd go, how did you feel about growing up in a big family? Um, what'd you think about it? Was it positive? Was it negative? Was it good? Was it bad? And I always love to hear the response. And what's wild about it, it was kind of a split decision. Some people, man, went, oh, man, I loved it. It was great. You always had somebody to play with. You always had, Christmas was so exciting. You know, it was just always a cool thing. There was always somebody there for you. And then I found others were like, oh, I hated it. It was terrible. You had to wear hand-me-downs all the time. Never got your own room. You know, your parents, they didn't have time for you. They, they just said, oh, find a sibling to help you, you know? And it just was not very good, and it wasn't very cool, and I just didn't like it. And, and I remember kind of going, oh, man, that's such a bummer. Because I hope our kids don't experience that. But you know, the same is true when you mention the family of God, the church to a group of Christians. If I were to throw that word out there in the culture and in the community, hey, what do you think about the family of God, the church? It's going to be a mixed reaction, too. 
you're going to find people that said, man, I love the church. They're going to be people like me. I've been beat up. I've been misused. I've had a hard time in the church, I'm telling you. But I love it. I absolutely love the family of God. Or you're going to find people on the other side that will say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Right? I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. And then they often add, and I can love Jesus and follow Jesus without the church. Have you heard that? Have you said that? Well, how do you answer that? After last week, where we talked about there's at least a dozen reasons why we go to church, and the dozen reasons why we can love Jesus and the church, can you honestly really love Jesus and follow him without the church? Can you honestly? You should answer no. You can't. Not after hearing that last week, unless we've forgotten those 12 things, I'm not going to go through them. But there are at least 12 experiences, 12 commands. There's at least 12 activities you can't even experience or do or, or benefit from, nor be a benefit to others, unless you're in the church. Man, there are reasons to be here. There's reasons to be a part. Jesus said this, and we're going to put it up on our screen here, Matthew 16, 18. He wrote this down. And, and I have this written, this verse written on a rock that's above my desk. It was a rock that was given to me by a pastor's wife who lost her marriage and her family because of the church. And she said, don't ever forget this. And she gave it to a group of us pastors who were going to plant new churches. Don't ever forget this as you plant the church. It's Jesus' church. And Jesus said, I will plant my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail or will not overcome it. It's my church. And that's right. This church is Jesus' church. He's head of the church, not me. It's his church. It's his body. Never forgotten that. Because I don't want to lose those other things. Like one commentator mentioned, he said this. He says, God has ordained the church a fellowship of the flawed. If you're flawed this morning, raise your hand. Come on, flawed people. Let's all raise your hands. Me, myself included. I'll put two up because I can be doubly flawed, flawed sometimes. And he's chosen a fellowship of the flawed to carry out his purpose and his will within the world. When we consider the biblical teachings of the church, we realize that the church is vitally important for growing in Christ. It's his family. It's where we become disciples. Like a branch that grows from its connection to the tree or the trunk, we thrive when we stay connected to the church. And that is the way it works. And that is the truth. Do you see that this morning? Do you know why you go to church? Do you know why? Do you think those two young sons that were young adult uh, sons that I talked about last week where their father sat down with them because they weren't going to church and just said, hey, if anyone can have this conversation, it's me with you. Do you think they know why they're going to church this morning? I hope so. I hope they got some of those reasons, and I really do expect they did. 
but I hope they are, they're growing in conviction about why they're going to church and why they're a part of the church. But this morning, we want to continue on, and we want to, we want to look a little more. And before we can look at what the New Testament teaches about the church, we want to look at what the Old Testament said about the church and about life and about worship in the church. So you're going to have to look up some of these scripture verses on your own. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go through all of them. But when we go back to the Old Testament book of Exodus in chapter 25, God gave Moses some instructions on Mount Sinai. And what he said was this. He said to build a tabernacle. A tabernacle was a portable tent. The name actually means dwelling place. So it would be the dwelling place of God. And it represented the presence of God in the midst of his people. And you know that the Ark of the Covenant, it was this box that was all in gold and it had the tablets, uh, the Ten Commandments and other things in that box. That represented the actual presence of God and it, and it dwelled in the middle or the Holy of Holies of this tabernacle, this tent of meeting that they were to build. And so God told Moses to build this. And this is what he said in Numbers chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. He said this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Aaron was Moses' sidekick, his right-hand man, The Israelites are to camp around the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, some distance from it, because the Levites had to be around it as well, and they were going to be closer, right? And so people had to camp all around it, each of them under their standard, holding the banners of their family. So all their families were to be encamped around this tabernacle, this tent of meeting, this dwelling place that represented the presence of God. The tabernacle and later the, the, the temple, they were the places where God ordained to carry out the sacrifices and then the festivals of worship to celebrate God's work and movement within his people. So this tabernacle and this temple, they functioned as the central place of instruction then too and of teaching about God and his will for Israel. So it was the center. From the tabernacle and the temple, worship then went forward. Worship reigned from there. Worship reigned. So the instructions for the building of the tabernacle, it required it again to be in the center of Israel's encampment. Right in the center. Now that's important. An important symbolism, and God is saying something important when he does that. Later, Jerusalem, that was the site of the temple, right? It represented the center of the nation of Israel. And it was kind of right in the center. You know what? Kansas is kind of the center of the United States. Are, are we the actual te temple and tabernacle? Maybe. We're special. I don't know, I just throw that in there. I thought about that as I was thinking about this. So this tabernacle was in, it was in the center, and Jerusalem, where the temple was built, and that was more of a permanent structure, that represented the center of Israel. So the tabernacle and the temple were not, always, not only viewed as the geographical center of Israel, but they were also intended to be the spiritual center of Israel. That was, that's the center. That's where it all, that's where everyone was to look to. 
and they were to keep it the center. So it was like everything else was a spoke of a wheel coming off and fanning out from the hub. The hub was the tabernacle. It was the presence of God in the midst of his people. That was the hub. Everything else was a spoke and came out from that. So what occurred at these worship centers was to affect every, every aspect of Israelite life. It was to affect every family. It was to be the orientation for how they were to live, how they were to think, how they were to make decisions. When, when that tent of meeting would be taken up and would move, then the people would take up their stuff and they would move. When it would stop and it would plant somewhere else, then they would stop and they would plant around it. Their life and their minds were always focused and pointed to the center, which was God, his presence, and their worship of God together as the church, as his people. That was so important. Well, I'm here to tell you something you may or may not know, but it's important. Centering is important. Keeping your focus is important. I, I just got a pellet rifle. I know, it sounds scary, doesn't it? I just had to go and buy one. And I've yet to sight in the scope on this pellet gun. So this pellet gun has a scope. So that tells you something. It's a pretty powerful pellet gun. And this is why I got it. All right, don't be mad at me. Don't get on me. I haven't hit anything yet, okay? So the, the, all these rabbits in my, in my yard have been safe so far. No rabbits have been harmed. But I got this pellet gun because I have vermin, which you see behind me, that are kind of laughing at me. But they are eating the expensive flowers and plants that I've planted in my yard. Everyone say no. No. I can't afford to keep replacing them. I wondered last year why I didn't get any tomatoes. I wondered why we were never getting our, the pretty flowers the orange ones and the other things, because these suckers were coming and eating them all. And I couldn't believe it. So no, 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 no. So, I'm here to tell you, I have, like I've got this rifle and the scope, but I'm here to tell you I haven't hit anything. I haven't even hit the broadside of the barn. You know why? My scope is not sighted in. And if you don't know what it means to sight a scope in, well, You've got a cytoscope in. Uh, that means you've got to tune it in up and down and side to side, and you've got to use a target, and you work at little by little, siding in so that where your barrel is pointed and where your, your, the sights of your scope are pointed in the center of it, what you see is what you hit. Well, right now, that's not the reality. So I've been testing it. I'll put it over here, up high, bam! Nothing happens, the little bunny just stays there. I go down over here, boom! Nothing happens, bunny just stays there. I go over here, down, boom, oh! The bunny jumped. The bunny jumped, I still didn't hit it, but I got closer. So I know which way my little scope is sighted or which way it's off. It's off. It's come close enough to scare these little vermins, but it hasn't been close enough to get one yet. But guess what, they're not coming back. And I'm okay with that, to be honest with you. I tried all sorts of ways to get them to leave. I tried to tell them to leave. They wouldn't reason with me. I wanted to feed them to leave. They wouldn't, it wouldn't work. 
But now they're leaving because I'm scaring them with something, and now they're not, they're not coming back. I don't know that they're gone for good, but for now, they're gone. And as long as they're gone and they leave my landscape alone, I'm good. Yet I'm here to tell you, the day is coming when I'm going to focus the scope. I'm going to side it in. And so that I'll actually, what I see through my scope is going to be where my, bell, my barrel is pointed and where the pellet will go. And I'm going to have to tell you that on that day, if there's a rabbit in my yard, we're having rabbit soup for dinner. <laughs> okay? I've had rabbit before. So I don't know about you. It's okay. It's pretty lean. Maybe I can lose some weight on it. But we're going to have it that night. Your center, where your vision for your existence and life overall and your vision that you have for various aspects or perspectives or ideas in your life, they've got to be either on center and on site or they're off center and off site. And if they're off center and off site, you're going to miss the target you're aiming at, and you're going to have frustration and suffering all along if you don't have your center right. In our modern age, many followers of God are unaware that the body of Jesus on earth, which is the church, we're his body, they don't know that their participation in it is to be the center of their life and their family's life on earth. Isn't that part of the takeaway from the Old Testament tabernacle? Your life is to be orientated looking at the church, the place of God's dwelling or where it worship happens, where teaching happens, right? We know that God no longer lives within buildings. He lives within us. But he lives within us, too, as we gather in his name. The Bible says God is building a spiritual house of worship through us. We're the stones in that spiritual house. So our lives are to be oriented and pointed toward this house, our gathering. Not this building, but our gathering, our fellowship together. And yet there are people and there are believers that don't know that the center of their life is to be the church and so they're not sighted in. We try to live with many different centers instead of the church. And we think that we can have all these other centers and be okay. But what ultimately happens is, is we miss the target over and over again. If we're not, if our orientation is not focused, to taking our place in the church. Being in the church, being a part of the church, building up the church, we don't hit the target. So we've got to dial in our scopes to hit the true target. And the way we do that is to become a part of the church and keep the church as a central focus of our gathering. You know, you look at my body, and I've got different parts just like you do. You can look at your body. Don't look at mine because mine's kind of a mess. But... You look at different parts of your body. They're all a whole, aren't they? You're a whole. But, but you don't want your parts of your body working independently of all the rest, do you? Or, or to be gone from all the rest. I love this pinky. You know, and you say, well, I could survive by cutting that sucker off. But it would die if it got cut off. 
but it's much better that it's here and it's working with me. It may not like some things I have my pinky do. Some things you have your fingers do, they may not like. But your brain tells it to do it, and the rest of your body needs it to do it. And so it does it. And it finds its identity, not only in the fact that it's a finger or your pinky, but it's connected to your whole body. This is Kelly's pinky. It's not Ashley's pinky. It's Kelly's pinky. And it's a part of this body. So it finds its identity. It really becomes alive when it takes its place within the whole. Do you get it? See, it's so simple, right? But yet we try to, we try to resist it over and over again and, and live like it doesn't matter. You, you can't live separated from the church. And you probably, like you're saying, well, you can't live being abused by the church either. Amen. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But in our modern age, we have some really false targets, and they're causing us to miss in life, right? And we tend to focus on them instead of the church and what God is doing. And I just want to list just a few of them, and you list them in your own mind. You know where you're struggling or not. But some of us focus on family over the church. I was given a thing, that, a little thing I had to put in my garden that said family first. And uh, I said, no, I'm not going to put that in my garden because that's not the truth. My wife loves kids. I, I'm, I'm a pretty uh, strong opinion sometimes about that. And I well, well, I'll put it there because they love me. <laughs> and, uh, but, but it's buried so you can't read it because it's not true. It's not true. <laughs> Jody, Jody's going, chill, Kelly, chill. But we put family first. It sounds good. That's what our, 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 we say, man. It's more important to do what family needs. No, 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 no. Our family is encamped around the Lord and his will. That's what our family is doing. Our family is not the center. The Lord is the center. His will is the center. His body is the center. Do you see what I mean? That changes how you make decisions. How you view life, whether you, you know, you show up to things or not. What's first? The church. The center, not family. Leisure over the church. Ah, in our country, yeah, if I can find time, then I'll get to church. But you know, I gotta do this, I gotta camp, I gotta fish, I gotta travel, I gotta, I've got this, I've got that. And the church gets left over. How about sports over church? We had to deal with that. How, how do we pursue competitive sports with three guys on traveling baseball teams and still keep Jesus the center and still keep the church and ministry the center? And we had to make hard calls. And I know some of you have as athletes. I know that Augie had to miss camp, didn't you? Football camp to be at VBS, and he did it. Good job, brother. I had coaches that told me, well, you may not start, Kelly, you know, if you miss it for a church thing. And I go, well, I'll just have to let it fall where it lays. And I started. <laughs> so hopefully you're not getting pressure like that. But see, it, we, we deal with those real-life pressures. And, and we, and we want to make other things the center. It doesn't work. It doesn't work when the center's not the center. We make work, making money. We make that the center over the church. We make our individual desires over the church. Hey, it's my salvation. It's my walk with the Lord. It's my life in worship. It's my life in ministry. Guess what the Bible says? It's not about you. 
It's not. It's about me. And it's about being a part and taking your place in the body, being what you've been created to do. It's not about you. It's about being like me. I give. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Be a giver. Be generous. Follow me. I'm Lord. I'm the center. And then keep the other centers. Keep everything in line. It's not about you. Or what about our favorite authors, our speakers, our teachers, our leaders? Sometimes we start inching those things into being the center. And we care more about them than the Word of God. It happens. But let's keep the Word of God. Let's keep the Word of the Spirit spoken to us through His Word. The Word of Jesus. Let's keep that as the center. And let other things lead you to it. It's okay to have those things. But let them lead you to the center. So church is a center for life and service, not these other false centers. And until we dial in on that and see that, that's why I go to church, we don't get it. I I was milling around, God was speaking to me, but it wasn't all coming together until I came to church. And I sat there, and the first Sunday I came to church, remember, the pastor's wife was in the choir and she looked at me, and she told me after the fact, Later, after I came to the Lord, she goes, I thought you would never come back. You were as stoic as I've ever seen anyone. And why? Because I was trying to figure out what's going on here. How how do I give my life to God? How do I follow Jesus? I, I believe he is Lord. How do I do that? And I was trying to figure it out. And then the second week I came, I gave my heart to the Lord. It all changed. Everything because the center changed. And I found, I was able to put it all together in the church with other parts of the body around me who could help me understand and get it and put it all together. We need the church, and uh, we need, as well as our relationship with Jesus, we need to keep them as the center. All right, so, some of you are out there thinking this, though. You're thinking, Pastor Kelly, you're saying that our church is more important than our individual family. That's what you're saying. And and I'm saying, yeah, yeah, I am saying that. Because we are in, we are saved and redeemed for what? To become a part of God's family. We are a member of his family. And so I am saying that being your place, taking your place in his family, is the important thing, most important thing you do once you, after you're saved. We all know, though, examples, maybe you've even done this, where the people uh, uh, of God, where mom and dad, for instance, couldn't say no to anybody in the church but their own family. So they said yes to everybody in the church, they said yes to every opportunity to serve, but they said no to their own family. I know pastor's kids who've hated their father. They've hated the church because dad was never there for them. I remember finding out that some of the guys that I used to run with and party with, they were actually pastor's sons. And I remember looking at them going, why didn't you tell me about this? And they just looked at me like they didn't know what I was talking about. Because they'd never experienced the love of Jesus. Because they were so angry at their father and so angry at the church. That they had no idea. They were in the church, but they were dead in the church because they didn't know Jesus. Wow. These guys were mad. 
because their needs were always delegated to the back row, while dad was always serving the people in the church. That can happen. That can happen. It really can. And you can be well-meaning, where you get very, very lopsided and off and miss the boat. How, how do you meet the needs of your spouse? How do you meet the needs of your family? And how do you do that? How do you show them that they're important while still keeping the body of Christ, the church, as the center of your life? How do you do that? I've had to work at, at trying to do that. I've obviously had to live that if I have seven kids that love Jesus and are seven kids that are in the church and trying to serve the Lord. So there's something we had to learn in the midst of this, or else we could have found ourselves in the same boat. So we as a family, this is what we try to do. This is how you can answer that question. How do you meet the needs of your family and spouse? And, and, and how do you show them that they're still important when you're keeping the church as the center of your life? We as a family, we only try to commit ourselves to people or to things that we believe that God has called us to do or to serve. So we have to agree that we're called to do this. We're called to serve here. We're called to do this. And we agree upon that within our family together. Do you do that? That's the only way I know how to keep things balanced and right. You have to do that. For instance, Jody and I and our family believe that God has called Jody to teach kindergarten at Peterson Elementary. Thank God I was not called to do that. <laughs> but he's called her to do that. And we agreed that he's called her to do that. Therefore, we, her family, see her teaching as a part of our mission also. Guess what? She's called to do that, and because she's in our family, we're also called to play a role in that as well. And, part, and that's also the part of the outreach of our church as well, because it's a part of the mission of our church. And we see it that way. So we celebrate that with her. Because we agree in this mission, we therefore own it together. We therefore celebrate it together. It becomes something we share and something that brings us together. Because we agree. We agree it's part of our mission. When our kids played sports, it was the same way. This is part of our mission. It's part of our outreach. It's part of our ministry. We agree. And if we can't agree, then we're not going to do it. It's not right to do it. So my question for, for you is, as an individual family and as a family that's in the church, have you received from the Lord... And are you maintaining a common vision for your life and your relationships in your ministry mission? Are you receiving from the Lord? And are you maintaining a common vision for your life, your relationships, and your ministry vision? Are you in it all together? Because if, if, if you're truly called to do that, you're supposed to do it together. Now, if by chance one of us feels like our priorities are getting off or important needs are not being met, then we come back to the Lord in prayer. And this is how we come back to the Lord in prayer. We come back to him in prayer and we come back to conversations with one another and we use evaluating questions like these. And you can write some of them down. And we said, we've said this, if we've said it once, we've said it numerous times. 
For what purpose are we doing this? For what purpose are we doing this? For what purpose are we on this traveling baseball team that costs us 500 to 1,000 a month to be on? You think I'm exaggerating? <laughs> For what purpose are we on this team? Um, where is the Lord in this and where is he leading? We talk about that. Where do we see Jesus in this and where is he leading? And some people may not agree at times. And so you have to step back and go, okay, let's pray some more about this. Am I doing these things his way, God's way, and in his strength? Or am I doing these things my way and in my strength? Am I getting in the way of this? Am I taking this too far or am I not taking this far enough? And then, what do my brothers and sisters around me in the church think? Oh, we need, the Bible says through the multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. And we need the wisdom of our brothers and sisters. The Bible says to exhort one another daily and encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, at least any of our hearts become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10. It tells us to do that. So we need to allow others to speak into our lives. Is that your practice, your common practice, to allow other brothers and sisters in the church to speak into your life? To tell you, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you, or I see the Lord in that, or I think you should be doing that. Uh, I feel a confirmation in my heart as I prayed about it. Yeah, or, no, I feel like you're right, Jesus isn't in that, and no, you shouldn't be doing that. You don't have to fear that. They help you. They help you see your blind spots. We all need each other. So again, fellow believers in the local church that I'm a part of, they're a hub. They're a center. They keep us, they keep me anchored. They keep us on track. They keep us running true. They, they keep our spokes tuned up so things are, are running right. Again, have you received from the Lord, and are you maintaining a common vision for your life, your relationship, and your ministry mission on earth with each other in your family? And as you do, as you receive those things, see, there's a lot more harmony. There's a lot more blessing. We always see ourselves as a part of this thing, and God's movement as a part of this thing, and it's a part of making us what he wants us to be, making us a disciple. So here's finally... And we're kind of coming to our conclusion here. Uh, a recent study of the New Testament book of Acts that we've just gone through, right? What did it show you and me? It showed us some things. As disciples who obediently wait for in prayer for the promised Holy Spirit, he does come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, we receive power. And when you read through Acts, you find this to be true, the first chapters of Acts. And, and he gives us power to do God's will. He gives us power to be his witnesses, power to overcome trials, power to receive miracles of healing and deliverance. But he also gives us power to unite as one body, the church, and move forward. The church is a creation of the Holy Spirit. It's not our idea. It, it's, it's the spirit of Jesus who is still operating on earth and he's bringing together his people. Until his coming, there was no church until the Spirit came. 
So the same spirit, it continues to bind us together as his family, as the family of God until Jesus returns. And the Holy Spirit is gracious. Remember I said this again early on. He gives us spiritual gifts. If you were to read Romans 12, 3 through 8, and 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, you'd discover some of these gifts, and you would discover that God has designed the church to be a place where these gifts are discovered, where they're nurtured, where they're used to build up the body of Christ, to bring it to maturity, and ultimately for the glory of God. The church is God's design to do that. So it might hurt sometimes, it might not be easy sometimes, but at other times it'll be wonderful and comforting and oh, a blast. But it's all for our good. It's all to make us more like Jesus. And it's in the church. Acts 2.42 shows us how the church functions and what it does. It says that members of the early church, and we have that scripture, I believe, up on the slide, members of the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to those things. They devoted themselves to these spiritual disciplines, these relational disciplines, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to fellowship of all types, to the breaking of bread, which included not only eating to fellowship, but also taking the Lord's Supper to remember what Jesus did on our behalf on the cross. And to prayer. They devoted themselves to these things. They weren't just trying to do them because they were supposed to. They loved these things. They knew that it was a part of God's plan to make them like Jesus. God's plan to make them the witnesses he's called them to be. And all these spiritual activities, are, they still are essential to growing in Christ. They all occur within the local church. And if you ever stay outside the local church, these things wane. Now, maybe not every church is the same. And so if you're not in a church that's practicing these things or has this vision, then maybe you need to be in a more of a biblically focused church. Amen? But that is the way the church is to operate. The Spirit is still working powerfully in the church. And he wants to work through our church today. So, this morning, regardless of our brokenness in life, God pursues us with his love. Amen? Again. And he has adopted us into his family when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Romans 8, 15 through 17 says this and instructs us. The spirit you received did not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Again, rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, to daughtership. You were adopted. You were adopted when you believed. You were adopted and brought into God's family. And by him, the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, he is our Daddy. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. He's for us, see? He's not, he's not looking to hunt you down, to, to give you a beating. No, you're his child. He's, he's looking to celebrate you and to bring out all the goodness in you. And if at times you need a little discipline, okay. Because I know I was one, and I am one still that needs a little discipline. Now it says if we are children, then we are heirs. 
Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. What a, what a privileged place to be. Oh, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Meaning if we will sacrifice as he does, if we will follow him in faith, even though the way is tough, we're going to share in his glory because we are sons. We are adopted children. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. So God loves you, adopted kids. He loves you. God loves his family. God loves his body. God loves the church which his Holy Spirit has created. Somebody say amen to that. He loves it. How can we not love what our Lord loves? See, we got to get that right. we got to work through those conflicts and problems, and we got to do it together because he loves us, and he wants us to love the body too. We are the apple of his eye. We are the objects of his love and devotion and care. And so the question I leave you with this morning, is he and his family, the church, are they the apple of your eye? Are they the object of your love, devotion, and care? Stand with me as we close in prayer. Amen. Amen. This morning I want you to reach out to the Lord in that and receive his love, but I also want you to ask him for his healing if you honestly don't love the church. We've all honestly at times hated, maybe hate's too strong a word, but maybe it's even the right word, hated our families of origin. Uh, so there are times I'm sure we've all hated the church, maybe. But, the, but God loves us. He loves you, and he loves you even when you're at your worst. He still loves you. And he loves his body, his family. And we don't want to fall into the hands of the enemy. The enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to give us offense. He wants to keep us in hate. He wants to drive us apart. That's his goal. And he wants to get us to do things that drive us apart. Uh, that's what he works towards. But God loves us, and he works to unite us. God loves us, and he works to make us like his son, like Jesus. And God has adopted us, and guess what? He ain't, he ain't giving us back. He's not giving you back. He loves you. But we've got to love him so we can join him. We've got to keep the center the center we got to keep the main thing the main thing. Amen? Let's do that together. Lord Jesus, we just pray that this morning, Lord, that you have elevated in our minds the place of the church to a higher place than maybe we've had before in our lives, to show us the value of the church, to show us the key place that it has in our lives and in our vision and in our focus for life. God, may we all play the role we are to play in the church. And may you work to make us more like you, Jesus, so that indeed we can play a role so that we can be a light, so we can be a blessing that helps our other brothers and sisters love the church too. Father, we bless you and thank you. We pray that, that just a revival would go through our community of people that have maybe been in the church for years but have gotten away where they can come to real reasons and know real whys of why they need to be back in church and participate in the church. God, we know that it's your plan to make us a disciple. It's your plan to make us witnesses to the world and to save the world before you return. 
So God work and purify us. We ask this in Jesus' name. And on top of that, Lord, we pray that you would just give a special dose of grace and of power to rejuvenate and bring rest to everybody who worked so hard this past week uh, in service of you. God, just build up the body today. We ask this in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. Amen. Lord bless your